a read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. The thing about memory is that it can be a bit of a tease sometimes. You remember that a thing happened and that it was awesome but you can't remember it well enough to really get to relive the experience. You have a, you have a memory like that. You you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it's a little embarrassing because there was a significant amount of beer involved, which surprisingly surprising. No one can affect your ability to remember something very clearly. Yeah. That might be the easiest way to improve your memory capabilities. There's an inverse correlation to the amount of alcohol that you consume. Well, I know I had a good time at the time, but I can't recall all of the details. So what what details can you recall? So I had driven to Salt Lake City to watch the Timbers play in a away game. And I should have known that this had something to do with (laughs) soccer. uh, (laughs) And there's also video evidence of a lot of what happened, but I can't remember some of those things happening directly. The group of people who were driving out from Portland to Salt Lake met ahead of the game to tailgate in the parking lot just outside the stadium. And we all had a good amount of beer and went into the stadium and we were feeling real good. And the Timbers won four to one. And I remember having just an amazing time, but I don't remember basically anything about the match. I don't remember who scored the goals. I don't remember much, but I know I had fun. And I also know that apparently I was living it up because my friend in Portland was watching the game and kept filming his TV whenever I was on celebrating a goal. And it's a little embarrassing, but apparently I was very happy. (laughs) Well, so let's take a situation like that. Do you wish that you could recall that memory perfectly? Right now you've got these dark spots. Do you wish that you could just minute by minute, detail by detail, recall what happened? A game like that, I really wish I could recall how they were doing during that game. I wish I could remember who made those goals. I mean, I could go look it up, but being there and actually witnessing it, seeing how the goal was made, remembering how the plays went down, I can't. I can't recall. And I feel kind of bad about that. I remember a lot of other matches that had some pretty spectacular results when I wasn't drinking as much IPA, you know? Well, I I don't want you to be too hard on yourself because actually there's research that's shown that we tend to remember things inaccurately, even when alcohol wasn't involved. That's true. I know that there are different things that get emphasized in the retelling of memories, different ways that our current emotional state can affect how we remember something if our emotional state was different or heightened at the time when the initial event occurred. So memory isn't perfect, even if you do a very good job trying to remember it and you haven't had too much beer that day. I I, I can acknowledge that. There's some interesting studies just in in terms of how memories are accessed. And essentially, every time you remember something, you're pulling the memory out of a storage bank, playing it in your head, and then restoring it again. And every time you go through that process, apparently 
the memories altered a little bit. So the more times you remember something, the less accurate that memory is going to be, which I think is interesting. The first time I heard that, it it frustrated me quite a bit because I've always thought of myself as being someone that when I really attempt to remember something, that I make a conscious effort to remember how a conversation happened or a specific thing with a lot of details I needed to remember. I thought I would do an extra good job to make sure I had every detail accurate. But if I can't, if I'm unconsciously altering these details, then I feel like a loss of control over my memory. It's almost the opposite, right? The more you try to remember it, the worse your memory is going to get just because you're constantly taking it out of the memory banks, literally, and then restoring it. And if it's true that every time you do that, it changes, the harder you work to keep that memory pure, uh, the more likely you're actually corrupting it. Do you have any memories like that that have morphed over time? I have no idea. And th- th- isn't that isn't that the dilemma here is you have no way of knowing unless so I guess like you have a video evidence that you could compare it to. How would we know how accurate our memories are? I think they're all perfectly accurate, but I know academically that's not true. This is when I hear infomercial music and a voiceover that says, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> certain TV shows or certain movies the producers or the writers of these shows had to have kind of the same conversations that we're having and think, oh my God, that would make a great episode or that would make a great movie. Uh, On this one, I'm thinking of Black Mirror. I think the episode was called The Entire History of You, but I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly. (laughs) I think you, I think you might be. This is an episode of the show that really stuck with me because I do have a lot of curiosity about how to better produce memories and then better recall memories. So in the show, people have an implant that's installed in their head behind their ears, which is called a grain, which records everything that they do and that they experience. They can replay this memory. A lot of times people replay them privately, just using their own vision in their eyes somehow. I don't know. It's science fiction. Or they can actually project their memories and like like watching a home movie or something like that. Is this something that the police can <laughs> gain access through in a warrant? I wonder. It probably that's the next the next episode. I'm sure there's going to be a sci-fi show on something like that where they can tap into your memory to find out if you're guilty or not. There was another episode of Black Mirror that had something like this and there was a murder that was witnessed. Oh, they could pull memories out without a device. They could just pull memories out some other way. And a murder was witnessed by a pet hamster. Mm, Damn hamster. I know. (laughs) Argument against rodents. (laughs) That hamster turned out to be a rat. Oh my God. Uh, That was a good one. I'm proud of that one. (laughs) Well, in the, in the show we were talking about though, where these people have a grain that they can re-access memories perfectly. Some of the characters would just obsessively redo a memory over and over again, down to like a minute level, trying to analyze every little detail for some deeper meaning that it might possess. Right. Did somebody make eye contact with somebody else in the room that was sort of telling? Did the person's body language when they were talking to me indicate that they were displeased with me? 
Is there some sort of conspiracy against me? Is my partner cheating on me? All of these things, they could just replay in a loop over and over and over again. Right. I think one of the characters in the episode, he forced his current girlfriend's ex to delete all memories of her because he was afraid that they were having an affair with each other. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it turned out that they had been having an affair and this is all just normal human drama. People have affairs, whether or not they've got brain implants. Surprise. It turned out that the child he thought was his was actually this other person's um, who was the father. And I think all of the human drama that normally happens in a non-perfect memory situation somehow gets heightened and worsened by being able to recall memory like this repeatedly, 100% as it actually happened. And it sort of made people get bent out of shape to the point of near insanity. There's certainly an aspect to this conversation that reminds me of our matrix conversation Mm. and the idea that just ignorance is bliss. So if this technology existed, if we had a way to make sure that all of our memories were recorded and we could review them to confirm the events as they happened, is, is that worth pursuing? Is there a benefit of having this perfect memory recall? Well, I think as, as people, we've always been fascinated by individuals that do have exceptional memories, whether it's something like how many decimals of pi can you remember? Or can you remember the order of a shuffled deck of cards? I just can think of numerous talk shows where they've had guests on and literally what the guest does is they just have an amazing memory. And it's almost seen as a superpower, I think, because there are some substantial uses for it. I think what you brought up, though, about the potential implications for crime and criminal justice make me wary of this type of thing happening. If I have an implant that allows me to recall everything, to record everything as it happened, would they have to get a warrant to review that information or the corporation that put the chip in my brain could just hand over that data to the police. Mm. I had certainly implications for the implementation of this, but let's just say separate from technology, what if human beings were just born with the ability to remember things perfectly? Would this be a better world or would this be a worse world? There are a few people in the world who have what's called a perfect memory where they can recall literally everything they've ever experienced or learned in their lives. And that means I remember on my sixth birthday, it was a Tuesday. I was wearing a purple shirt. We lived in this house, like every single detail and their minds are just so busy because they have so much information that they've cataloged. We who don't have, I mean, I'm assuming you don't have perfect memory. Only when it's something I did well. <laughs> we, we filter out the extraneous information and we only hold on to the details that we either consciously or unconsciously determine are important details, but other people have everything and they've got no filter. I don't know if this is true or not, but what I heard was that we do have just limited storage space. And as you put new information in, your brain sort of deletes what it somehow decides is the least important information to make space. So why does my brain 
hold on to every song lyric I learned when I was 12. And I can't remember anything from any math class I've ever taken. Well, your brain apparently doesn't have the same priorities as your algebra teacher. That's true. I'm thinking of, I don't know why my mind goes here, but when I'm thinking of perfect memory, I'm thinking of people getting in fights with each other, whether it's their significant other or whoever about, well, I remember this one time that you did this and this was your fault. No, no, no. This was your fault back and forth. And I'm wondering, would those fights be better or even worse if we had perfect memory? Well, in my opinion, they would be because I was right in all of those arguments. But do you remember, I think it was the Chappelle show. And I know you're probably shocked that I'm bringing up Dave Chappelle. Mm -hmm. But there was a skit that was the stenographer that followed couples around and would take verbatim records of their arguments. And they could go back (laughs) to the record to determine who said what and when and everything like that. Yeah, I think it almost would cure more arguments. I I don't know. I, I guess if the question is, do we want perfect memory recall or not? At a very base level, I'm probably of the school that more information is always better than less information or more accurate information is always better than less accurate information. So I think it would certainly be a positive thing. I think that I would prefer to remember only the things that I actually cared to remember. And I I filter out the extraneous things. I don't need to remember the exact mileage on my car on my 19th birthday or things like that, that that's unimportant to me, but of the things that I do want to remember, I wish I could remember them accurately in perpetuity. I feel very adrift knowing that the things that I've been trying to remember my whole life probably didn't happen the way that my brain thinks that they did. And and it's especially frustrating. I think because we don't have a mechanism or tool to determine that you know that it feels as though the memory is accurate. But then because of the research we've done here and because of the science out there, we also know that the more we think about something, the less accurate it gets. But it feels so accurate. All I know for sure is that in every argument I've ever had, I was 100% correct. And no one can check me on that because they don't remember it accurately. (laughs) Oh, that's how we're going to use this information. Anytime you disagree with me, it's only because you've remembered it too many times. And so it's obviously deteriorated. Let me have this. (laughs) I, I think where this gets really scary, though, and to be just blunt, this is one of the things in life that might scare me the most is conditions like Alzheimer's or conditions like dementia that almost seem like a sci fi movie but are unfortunately very real. Yes, I agree that those are things that are especially scary. The inability to form new memories seems even more like a loss of control. But to a degree, as somebody who has ADHD, I kind of, on a very micro level, do experience that because sometimes I try to create a memory or find a way to remember something I know is important. And I don't have a lot of control over what my brain prioritizes. It's not the same thing as forgetting the people in my life, like people with Alzheimer's experience, but knowing that your brain isn't functioning correctly is very frustrating 
And I can see that becoming something that distresses people when it becomes as severe as something like Alzheimer's. Right. I don't think there's anybody out there who hasn't had the experience of trying to recall something. <laughs> like I walked into a room. <laughs> Why am I here again? What was the thing I had to do? Or sitting in this is probably because I'm on my phone too much, but I'll pick up my phone, open it up, and then forget which app or which thing it was that I was supposed to be doing. I, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't experienced something like that. And it can be infuriating. Mm-hmm. So then take that and extrapolate it out to the level of somebody with dementia or with Alzheimer's that A, just has to experience that all the time, and B, has to experience it in situations that are obviously much more substantial than me picking up my phone and forgetting which app I was trying to open. Did I want to look at Facebook or Instagram? I forget. Those are the important questions. <laughs> right. But so so for, for somebody with Alzheimer's, it's hard to imagine what the world would feel like as you move through it, just unsure of who, where, what, when you are over and mm-hmm. over again. And it's it's very upsetting for the people in the lives of the folks who are experiencing memory difficulties, being mistaken for a different family member than who you actually are by those folks can be very upsetting. I know that some people try repeatedly to get the people in their family who have Alzheimer's to remember things accurately. And then other people do things like go with it. My grandmother thinks that I'm her sister instead of her granddaughter let's just go with it. Let's have a tea party and have her catch up with her sister. What does it actually hurt anything for her to actually have that misunderstanding? It, it, if it's going to stress her out to correct her, let's not. So this would certainly seem to suggest that the answer to our question of would it be better to have perfect memory would be yes, or maybe not. Maybe Maybe the answer to the should we have standard memory is certainly yes. Perfect memory might be too much of a good thing. Yes. I think of all of the memory topics that we're going to be discussing, this is the one that science is most concerned with because just getting people to a point where they can form new memories that stay with them and resolve some of the most distressing and debilitating memory issues is something that there is popular support for. I don't think anybody's really looking for us to have a complete record of our lives, but being able to remember who our family members are, that's pretty basic stuff for people to ask for. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be a, a long-term memory. But what's unique about um, some situations that, like you mentioned, is the inability to form recent memories. And I think there's something interesting about that idea of short-term versus long-term. If you can at least maintain your long-term memories, you likely know who you are, who your family members are, but the inability to form those short-term memories, yeah, stop you from understanding what am I supposed to be doing right now? How did I get here? (laughs) Like I just woke up and all of a sudden I'm in a new place is, is how you feel. There have been a lot of different shows and movies that involve that premise of amnesia being a central plot point. Have have you seen Memento? I did, but I don't remember all of it. Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually I did see it and I don't remember all of it. 
I remember the dude, I remember the dude's on a mission, but he's not really sure what the mission is, which, you know, is basically what we're talking about here. Yeah. It came out a while ago. So it's kind of understandable that you don't remember much about it, but essentially a man and his wife are attacked in the process of the attack. He has some sort of traumatic injury that affects his memory and he develops enterograde amnesia, which is the inability to form new memories after the onset of the amnesia itself. During that attack, his wife was murdered. And so he's been employing all of these strategies to keep himself on the mission to find out who killed his wife and how to exact revenge upon them. And he uses Polaroids, which do they even exist anymore? Because everybody's got an iPhone. It's very like hipster. Yeah. Polaroid camera. (laughs) And he also gets tattoos. So on his actual body, there is a record of what his objective is so that every time his memory does not keep up with the mission, he has all of these reminders, much like I set reminders for myself on my phone. He, He sets them for himself on his body. So he remembers that his wife was murdered and that he wants to do something about it. And that's about it. I don't think he even remembers that his wife is murdered until he has a tattoo prompting him to remember that. I do. I do seem to, at this point, it's, it's getting corny. I do seem to remember that (laughs) he, he would set a note and the first note would be like, look at your body. There are tattoos there. And then the next tattoo, and he would have to go, you know, every morning he'd like re-wake up and have to go through this whole process over again of, oh shit, I have tattoos. Oh, what do they say? Oh, my wife was murdered. Crap. Oh, I'm supposed to do something about it. And just every day he gets a little bit closer to the actual truth. They spoof this on Brooklyn Nine-Nine with Jason Manzoukas. They do. That's a pretty funny interpretation of it, especially because some of the tattoos he gets are like his subway order, I think, (laughs) which is helpful to remember. There are so many options there, Hmm. but amnesia is a pretty prevalent topic in pop culture. I'm not sure that's necessarily how it works all of the time, but in this particular instance, people take advantage of the fact that he's very confused about what's happening and only has these select tattoos and photos as his prompts for what to do. And they motivate him to carry out objectives that are serving their interests instead of his. Well, and I I think that that's Again, not so different than potentially people with Alzheimer's. Um, Certainly, one of the scariest things about that situation is that it is so easy to take advantage of these people. If you were in a situation, not, not that you can like plan ahead for it, but if you found yourself in a position where you could no longer form short term memory, what would you do to help? yourself remember anything that happened since the like traumatic incident that caused the amnesia? I mean, literally no idea that this is why this is very scary for me is because most problems you use your brain to fix them. Even if it's a physical problem, say you have to amputate a limb, Uh, say you turn out to be a quadriplegic you can still have quality of life because you still have your mind that allows for you to do things and explore the world and find meaning uh, through the thoughts and, and through, you know, what happens in your mind. But when your mind itself is the thing that's breaking down, 
what tool do you have to like to answer your question? How do you handle a situation like this? You can't, you don't, because the tools that you have to handle any other situation are the very thing that are being attacked. In in your case, would you therefore consider it as having no quality of life if you can't sustain new memories? I guess you could have fleeting quality of life. Maybe it depends on how much time you have before you forget again. For for people who have family members with conditions like this, they do talk about the brief moments in which they would say that their relative is quote unquote, you know, there again. Mm-hmm. And then they go away again. So I guess my point is is less about they do or don't have quality of life and more about you don't have control over that. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to say if that would be an existence that could be enjoyed. I think that it's, you know, definitely not for us to say whether it would be worth living, especially for other people, but are there ways to make it so that people can have joy in their life again? I think there are some tools that people can have at the ready in case there is a memory issue in the future. People can get advanced directives and living wills so that they have certain safeguards in place that if they are no longer able to really take care of themselves, they can have their wishes carried out for how they wish to be cared for if they're in a position where their memory is failing them. Sure. But that's just literally survival. And I do think that they could certainly enjoy just the the carnal things in life. Uh, if you eat good food, you don't need to remember anything to know that you're enjoying food. Uh, so as far as that goes, I do think you can enjoy life. But as far as the existential kind of self-actualization worth or, or ways that we find value in ourselves or meanings in our lives, I think that those are the types of things that would be off limits. I had a friend who said that if he was ever to experience amnesia or any memory issues, that all he wanted was to be propped up in front of Arrested Development and watch it again for the first time. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, everybody's got their priorities, I suppose. (laughs) That's interesting. If you had to, if you were completely forgot everything and you got to pick one thing to re-experience for the first time, what would it be? I don't know. Just off the top of my head, I, I guess I'd probably say the entire Star Wars franchise. I really love Star Wars. And every time I see a new Star Wars film, no matter how much everybody else hates it, I always really just love it. Mm. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> the thing I would like to re-experience, my answer is not PG rated, <laughs> but it wouldn't be the first time that I'd want to re-experience. I want to re-experience one of the ones that happened a bit later. Okay. <laughs> what about we started this with a discussion of losing long-term memories. Alzheimer's attacks oftentimes the short-term memory. If you had to pick one, which would you rather lose or which would you rather keep? I don't know. I have a lot of really good memories that I'm glad I have, but I also have a lot of memories that I wish I didn't have. But the short-term memories that I could lose haven't happened yet. So I guess on a philosophical level, they don't matter to me as much as my long-term memory does because that's already happened. So I guess I'd rather lose short-term memory. Hmm, That's interesting. I think I'd rather lose long-term memory because like you were mentioning, if I lose long-term memory, but I know at least what I'm doing and I'm conscious of my immediate goals, et cetera, I can enjoy and kind of reinvent myself every day. 
but at least express a purpose in that way. So I think I would probably give up long-term and keep short-term. I don't know. You might lose a sense of who you are if it, if that happens. But then I get to reinvent myself every day. I'm not beholden to who I was. I don't like who I am. I was about to say, what if you like who you are right now? <laughs> then then be that again in the future. Oh, but who you are is a product of all of the things that you've experienced and you've remembered. Okay, but you have all these memories of who you were without any way of acting on them or living with them if you don't have a short-term memory. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it makes more sense to it makes more sense to be a culmination of the things that have happened than to couch all of my hopes into a future that hasn't happened yet. All right, let's let's flip this around. So the other kind of half of sci-fi when it comes to memory, we've talked about what it would be like to lose memory and we we'd really like to be able to keep it. But what about those painful memories that we do want to get rid of? What if we had the ability to erase memories that we would rather not have to relive? Now that's a tempting idea. I think that there are a lot of people who've experienced trauma who may prefer to forget it. A lot of people who also have experienced trauma believe that remembering is a key to healing. I just want to forget every instance in which I embarrass myself publicly. Uh, Timbers games. I'm sure I've had embarrassing experiences from time to time. I just don't remember them. Did you deliberately engineer <laughs> your brain to forget those incidents? I did. And actually, I think in every interesting episode, to step back for a second, in every interesting debate episode about what seem like hypothetical topics like this, they get most interesting when there is some real world application or real world possibility to them. And this is one where there actually is some science coming out where there could potentially be a way of ridding ourselves of memories like these. We talked earlier about just the way that memory access works. It's a removing from the shelf, experiencing, and then putting back on the shelf process. There's science now that's looking to target the types of proteins that allow for that process to happen to where once something is taken off of the shelf, we undermine the ability to put it back again. And through that sort of targeted manipulation, science is starting to think that it is possible we're able to delete specific memories. Well, sign me up. <laughs> there are a few, there are a few I could probably stand to have taken off my shelf permanently. That seems kind of scary though. So like going back to the more sci-fi version of it, if the way this process works is, and they've done this with rats actually, where these rats have been conditioned to, after a certain sound is played, they get hit with an electric shock over and over again until they start to associate the electric shock with the sound. Then the scientists attack this particular protein, play the sound, inspiring the rat to call up the memory. And actually, through this process, it seems that they're able to disassociate the sound from the electric shock. And the rat literally forgets that it had happened in the past. What's scary about that, though, for me is if they do this with humans, say they cut out the protein, what if you accidentally remember something else during that time period that you didn't want to forget? 
That's an interesting question. I would, I would say that the thing about the mouse that is scary is that they don't get to select which memories are being deleted from their mind. And I would hope that if people are having memories deleted, it would be ones that they volunteer to have removed. But if there's a possible bleed through to memories that they don't want to have removed, there's a consent issue and could have disastrous effects. Yeah. What happens if two of these rats have like a little rat relationship where they bond with one of their fellow <laughs> lab rats, you know, throughout the course of this experiment. And then this memory manipulation happens and they totally forget about their little rat boyfriend or girlfriend. Are you thinking of Ratatouille? <laughs> <laughs> is that is that the next movie we're going to be talking about? No, I just think that you think rats maybe have a little bit more of a complex social uh, hierarchy than they actually do. But this does speak to a movie in which memory is uh, selectively deleted. And that is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. In that movie, the non-rats, so the humans, have interpersonal relationships that don't go very well. And a couple, Clementine and Joel, have a bad fight. And then Joel learns that Clementine has erased him from her mind, which he found to be very upsetting. And now the memories of her are so painful that he decides to have her removed from his mind as well. However, during the actual process of getting her removed from his memory, He's unconscious, but in his subconscious mind or his dream state, he decides that he wants to hold on to her. And so he tries to hide her in memories that aren't being targeted, like other memories from his childhood and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like being at the top of the roller coaster and realizing that you wish you hadn't got on. Right. And and that might be what's scary about this process is that theoretically it would be irreversible. Right. Memories are a very unique thing and and a very individual thing. And if they get into your head, they being whatever anonymous scientist in lab coat that's trying to delete your brain, if they get into your head and they accidentally remove the wrong memory, it's not like it's out there somewhere where you can just reinstall it back into your brain afterwards. I suppose that I don't especially want to delete memories from my brain. I just only want to call upon those memories when I choose to. And I don't want to just have them pop into my head or be reminded of them without choosing to be reminded by them. Mm-hmm. So not not like walking down the street and something forces you to recall somebody that you would rather forget. Well, for instance, I don't know how much you hang out on Facebook, but Facebook likes to post memories of everything that you have posted or interacted with during that day over the past, I don't know how long I've had a Facebook, 15 years. And it got to the point with a specific past relationship that I had to have Facebook memories completely block out three years from the retelling of my life story, because I didn't want to have a constant memory of somebody. Like, I don't want to delete them from my brain, but I also don't want to just pop into Facebook every day and see them there all the time. Mm -hmm. This day, three years ago, this happened. Yep. You're like, I know. And I was trying to forget. Thanks. Pretty much. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder too, a lot of memories or bad, bad experiences in general also come with a lot of, you know, psychological 
baggage and after effects of it. Do you think that getting rid of the memories would also kind of restore some of the emotional damage that was done? Or do you think that happens at a deeper level than the memories? I think it's hard to say. I do think that there are a lot more elements that go into memory than we probably consciously think of. So people might wish to have a specific person deleted from their memory, but then there might be a certain smell. They didn't think they associated with that person. Then they do. And that calls upon some sort of emotional state for them. They can't really describe because if one piece of the puzzle is missing and they no longer have a comprehensive picture of what that memory entails. Mm -hmm. Or I'm thinking like, let's say you have a bad relationship and that makes it hard for you to open up to people in the future. You become emotionally unavailable. And if you still have the memories of the relationships that caused for that, it might be easier for you to work through those issues and eventually heal from them. But if you have the issue without the memory, then are you just stuck like that forever because you don't have the tools to kind of work through? This is where my trauma is coming from. And then this is how I can confront it, deal with it, work my way through it. It's possible, but it's also possible that without the memory, the trauma just may not be as potent. Mm -hmm. So let's say eternal sunshine problem. You have a person that you were in a relationship with. It didn't go well, but I think in the movie, he was hoping to get back with the person, right? Yeah. Ultimately, what happened at the end is that through the constant refrain in the subconscious part of his brain to meet her in Montauk, he decides to go to Montauk and they wind up meeting each other again, having no memory of each other. And they connect immediately. They find out through the actions of another character who they were to each other before they had their memories erased and learned that there was some volatility there, but they decided to give it another go. Okay. But let's say you want to get back with the person. So you keep their memory. But then you find out like in the movie that they deleted their memory of you. So they're obviously not interested or at least in that moment weren't interested. And of course, it's it's irreversible in the sci-fi world. It's irreversible. Mm -hmm. So at that point, do you still keep your memory of them or do you say, well, (laughs) they bailed on me. They don't want to have anything to do with me. I might as well delete them, too, because this thing that I want, there's no chance that I get it. The, the opportunity to get back with them is now gone because they don't even have any idea who I am anymore. Mm. I suppose that's the, that's the question that Joel has in the film. Which was played by Jim Carrey, one of my favorite performances by him. He's, it's a pretty great film. I, I do re- recommend people watch it if they haven't seen it. And I think if if I was in that position, if I had been in a relationship with somebody and it went badly enough from my partner, ex-partner's perspective that they wanted to delete me, that would be such a profound hurt, (laughs) such an insult to me that I think the only way I could probably recover from it would be to delete them in kind. But again, on the flip side of that, if there was somebody who you had hurt that badly, and let's say it wasn't intentional, would you not want to keep those memories to try and figure out like, (laughs) what the fuck did I do? That was that bad. Well, yeah, I obviously, if I've done something wrong, I want to address it and fix it. But if it's just 
hey, we didn't work for each other. I want to delete you now. Mm. That that would really hurt. I guess this goes back to that Black Mirror episode we talked about where the people have the grain implanted in their brain where they're able to perfectly remember situations over and over and over again. I think this would be one possible scenario where you would find somebody just replaying like that night or that fight over and over and over trying to figure out what went wrong to the point of just insanity. Yeah, I absolutely would be that person. Yeah, probably me too. I'm overly analytical at times. That makes you wonder. So we've talked about the rats and we've talked about the method through which we recall memory and the fact that memories do deteriorate over time just naturally. Does that suggest that this process is a sort of evolutionary defense mechanism, right? That there is a biological value to not remembering things perfectly? I would say so. We, we do know that there are people who experience trauma and they involuntarily repress the memory in a way of self-preserving so that they don't constantly re-experience trauma. In that sense, I think that would be a defense mechanism. But yeah, it's not one that people, I think, actively choose. But maybe we should take a hint from what our body is telling us when it comes to the question of, do we want perfect memory? And uh, maybe take our body's advice and, and say no, that it's okay to let things go slowly over time. Maybe that's the answer. Well, not everybody represses memory. People process trauma differently. Some people never have that memory fade and they just experience their healing through acknowledgement. No, but everybody, like we said, everybody, every time you remember something, your memory gets a little bit less accurate. That's, that's I think, a universal. Well, that's true. But if there's something traumatic that happens to you, like let's, let's make it something that's not too traumatizing event, but still upsetting event. Let's not get too dark here. Let's not get too dark here. But let's say you got into a pretty bad car accident. Nobody got hurt, but your car got totaled. Having acknowledgement that that happened, you're not going to misremember that to the point where your car didn't get totaled, but you might misremember the exact circumstances of it. Whereas if you repress that memory and you have no memory of that happening until perhaps it emerges years later because something triggers that memory, what's the trade-off here? Either you remember something slightly imperfectly, but you remember it happened, or you just don't remember it at all. Mm -hmm. So we've got a question of, would we like to have perfect recall? We've got the question of, would we like to be able to completely forget things? Then we've got an, an interesting show, Severance, that you were telling me about where, correct me if I'm wrong, the plot runs something along the lines of when you are at work, you do not remember your personal life outside of work. And when you are in your personal life, you do not have any recollection of your job. Exactly. So the people who are at work, they are called the innies and their only acknowledgement that they have left work is that they come back through the elevator the next day wearing something different, but it's basically seconds after they were leaving their work day, they essentially don't experience sleep. They don't experience weekends. They don't experience rest because the entirety of their consciousness and their memory 
is exclusively relegated to their work life. And then their Audis, who are their non-work selves, only experience going to and from the work facility. But again, it's like minutes apart and they don't experience any of the workday. And so their life is essentially exclusively a personal life with no emphasis on work. There's no communication between their two selves. You're essentially two different people. First of all, these innies and outies are a pretty unfortunate name choice on behalf of the writers. <laughs> but second of all, this does take uh, the questions we've been asking to almost a whole new level because it is at the same time, perfect recall and complete elimination of memories put together in a system that I guess tries to optimize that process to where you both live and work the most efficient and highest quality life possible. Yeah. The premise behind why these memories are separated is that the work that is being done is so sensitive that even their non-work selves can't know about it. Oh, is this like a, uh, you know, government security clearance type situation? Ostensibly. I'm I'm not going to spoil too much for you, Mm. but there's also some elements that are pretty highly acknowledged within the show that being able to turn off that aspect of your life. Like, I don't know about you, but my professional life ends up taking a lot of my personal life up because I explain my job to my friends, or I think about work when I'm not at work, even though I'm not technically working. And even if I get on Jeopardy, the only question that's going to be asked is about my job. If I get on for one Mm -hmm. episode only, and it's become so much of a focal point of our lives that even when we're not at work, work is still very central to who we are as people. So that's an imbalance as it stands. And if we have a a severance type scenario, we kind of reclaim our personal lives as being so distinct from work that work isn't even relevant to them. Yeah. I definitely last night, probably too much information, but in the shower was thinking about a problem that I was having at work and (laughs) 11 PM at night, in the shower, trying to figure out how do I deal with this problem? Certainly not getting paid for those hours. Exactly. I'm on vacation right now and I can't help but think, how is everybody doing when I'm not there? They're probably doing fine. I don't do Mm. very important work. I think this is uh, something wrong with us because I think the majority of people are probably at work thinking about home, not the other way around. I think that people do both. I think that people spend a lot of their time at work thinking about their personal lives because who we are as people, we take with us to work and things that we experience outside of work inform our mood and our general demeanor when we go to work. And, you know, we, we socialize with our coworkers and talk about what we did over the weekend. So you lose Both of those things, if you're in a severance scenario, you lose the ability to know who you are outside of work and connect with other people based on that information. And then you lose the professional aspect of your life that other people connect with peers, friends, neighbors outside of a work scenario around that topic quite often. Mm -hmm. I think that this show sort of portrays an, an attitude around work culture that probably started to disintegrate a decade ago or so where it was about efficiency and optimization at work and any kind of distraction or any kind of personality was a negative thing. 
Because now even some of the biggest corporations on the planet, you know, some of the tech companies, uh, Google, for example, looks to hire people who portray, quote, googliness, <laughs> uh, a real term. Y'all can look it up if you want. But basically, the idea is that the individuality and the personality that you bring is important. And I'm sure everybody's aware of just a shift towards an emphasis on diversity in the workplace. And a situation like severance would completely eliminate that. It doesn't matter what kind of worldview that you have or what kind of lived experience that you have or what kind of diversity a workforce would have if none of their personal life made it into their workplace. Yeah. I suppose that if you have a coworker who outside of work is an activist and talks about maybe marginalization that they've experienced and that conversation can never enter the workplace, that deprives the workplace of a chance to learn and grow from the lived experience of employees and peers. Or does it just stop the workplace from becoming a source of potential tension? that would limit efficiency or productivity. You, I remember you mentioned in an earlier episode that you're not supposed to have Timber's paraphernalia at your work desk because that might potentially cause conflicts with coworkers that support the Seattle Sounders, the bad guys. I'm just impressed that you're picking up so much on soccer based on our conversations. I pay attention to my co-host. We are a diverse and empathetic workplace here. Yeah, I suppose that there are certain things that people could bring to work as parts of their personality, which could become distractions. The purpose of work is work. And if there is something that is highly detailed, highly important, and highly secure, and anything that could detract from that could be eliminated through something like the premise of severance. It might be worth it if it's a, if a question of things like national security or advancements in cancer treatments or things like that. For me, this would be a great situation. I guess the question would be, does your personal life infiltrate your work more or less than your work infiltrates your personal life? And I definitely find in my case that I think about work outside of work probably much more often than I think about my personal life at work. So I think this would be a positive thing for me. The line has blurred way too much for me. I became salaried about a year ago, which means that I'm more or less always on call. And there have been so many changes regarding work that have affected my personal life. Like I'm going to graduate school for work. How would that factor in? Would I get the idea to get an MBA at work and then I'd leave work and I'd forget that I wanted to get an MBA for work? I wonder how much of the show was inspired by the work from home situation, which on face value seems awesome, right? I don't have to go into an office to work. I can do my work uh, at home in my living room, not wearing pants with my cat, eating ice cream. All of this is amazing. But then at the same time, that sort of let work through your front door, literally. And now my couch that used to be just my couch in a very severance sort of way is now sometimes my couch that I watch Netflix on and sometimes my couch that I work on. And just slowly that's allowed work to creep into places that it would have never been allowed into otherwise. I think especially for people who had no choice but to work out of their bedroom, 
how do you live a life that doesn't constantly acknowledge work when you have your desk set up right next to your bed and you, you try to rest after work, you try to sleep and your work is literally always in the room with you. Mm-hmm. Definitely some uh, COVID work from home themes through this show alongside of the idea of, of memory. But maybe that there's more interaction between those two ideas than you would imagine at first, because if your memory constitutes who you are, as you were talking about earlier, all of this accumulation of ideas and memories and thoughts identifies you, defines you as a person, eliminating those memories redefines who you are fundamentally. And at the same time, if you start to allow your work life to infiltrate your personal life, that can also just redefine who you are. Because now in situations that are supposed to be me, my family, my friends, my dog, my cat, whatever, now they are my work instead. And I'm a different person than I was before. That would be cool if we had control over that, reshaping ourselves into a new thing with different elements. But in a situation where we don't get to choose that, I'm genuinely curious who I would be in a situation where I didn't really have any experiential memory, where I didn't remember what I had endured up to that point. You would be a better worker. I would probably be so much more chill. I know that. Usually you're the one here that takes every opportunity to rag on our corporate overlords. I think that you might be underestimating the power that they would have in a situation like that of defining who you are if you don't have your personal memories and and your personal experiences and relationships to kind of fight back against the onslaught of you need to be thinking about work and you need to buy this thing. And here's an advertisement shoved in your face every 10 seconds. Here's Alexa, who's probably about to talk to me right now because I just said her, her name. Yep. There she goes. Alexa listening into your conversations so she knows what it is that you want to buy before you even know it. I don't know. I guess there might be a little sense of freedom of just kind of giving in to letting everybody else control everything about you. Realistically speaking, I know that's not going to happen. And I do like the control that I have over my life. And I do think that I wouldn't be a person that I like as much as I do without all of the lived experience that I've had. Like, I I think that the good and the bad together have come to a point where I'm actually like pretty okay with who I am. So that's great. You need to maintain your individual snowflakeitude. Not a snowflake. Not a liberal snowflake, an individual snowflake. That's like the good kind of snowflake, not the bad kind. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify because I am I am not, I don't whine that much. You're your own special little piece of frozen water. After everything that we've heard, all of the different ways that memory has been represented in media, and, and there's many more that we didn't even touch on today. Where do you stand with all of this? Would you want to have more control over what you remember and how you remember it? Or do you prefer to let things kind of happen organically as they do now? Well, one thing that I wish I would remember is every every time we record, we always get to the end of the show and forget to have told people our names, which is what all the professional podcasters do. I'm Josh. I'm Kelly. And now we're professionals. And we also always forget to plug our Twitter 
and uh, Facebook, which are both at Indubitably Pod. So I wish I was better at remembering that. <laughs> but aside from that. And now, since we're breaking the fourth wall real hard, it's also useful. We haven't asked this in a while, so hopefully not annoying for people if they're so inclined to rate or leave reviews for our little project here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, etc. That does help us out a lot. And we try not to be annoying asking for it. But every once in a while, a reminder, I think is useful. And this does seem to be the episode where that makes the most sense. I think if there's anything else we need to remind people of. Tell everybody else that we're amazing. Okay. So all of that out of the way. I actually think that we're in a pretty good spot with our memories to be to be perfectly honest. I think that we have these systems in place that let us remember things pretty well without being beholden to them. As we learn new things, our mind deletes old things that we haven't thought of in a while, kind of like a Marie Kondo spring cleaning sort of process. As we move further and further just chronologically away from memories, they're presumably less important and we we slowly allow for them to fade away or even in a more sci-fi sense allow them to be manipulated away distorting that memory just slightly every time we bring it back up again and i i think in general systems like that in our bodies and in our minds do it in a way that protects us um so i think in general the way our memories are constructed the balance between remembering and forgetting is probably pretty spot on the way that it is. I, I don't have too many complaints to be perfectly honest, although it would be cool every once in a while to have a super memory, superpower to impress people as a party trick. But you know, besides that. Yeah. I don't really have any complaints other than I wish my ADHD wasn't as bad. There are so many times that I forget what's in my fridge until, uh Oh, I just found a liquefied lettuce. So I'd like to remember that better. But other than that, I, I'm pretty happy with how my memory works for the, the important things and how I've become the person that I am because of the way that my memory has operated to protect me, to develop me into the person that I am. Yeah, ultimately, I, I don't think I'd want to get too sci-fi with it. <laughs> Finally, we have an episode where we both seem to agree <laughs> on our conclusion at the end. Speaking of remembering and speaking of the end, we are remembering to finish this episode with a quote. And I think we found one that works pretty well for the discussion that we've had today. This is by John Irving. Your memory is a monster. You forget, it doesn't. It simply files things away. It keeps things for you or hides things from you and summons them to your recall with a will of its own. You think you have a memory, but it has you. <laughs>